feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Everybody tonight? Hi. Welcome. Let's start a time of prayer. See what God has for us. Father, thanks for another time to meet and to hear from you. We come with an expectation of faith that God you speak and that you teach and that you reveal. So we ask you tonight that we would have just open hearts and minds to receive what you want to say and what you want to reveal and what you want to do in each of our lives. We thank you tonight for your presence. I pray, God, that we would be responsive to your Holy Spirit. I pray an anointing that you not only teach your word, but also to receive that truth and that teaching. Give you thanks tonight. Ask you to be glorified. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bible, let's open up to uh, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 23. 1 Chronicles 23. The Bible's on the table, so you can help yourself if you'd like. Chronicles 23, and we're going to need a volunteer going to read verse 14. First Chronicles 23 and verse 14. Sons of Moses, the man of God, were counted as part of the tribe of Levi. Alright. Thanks for reading that. Now, what's going on in First Chronicles? If you want to read the chapter, feel free. I always encourage that to get some kind of context as to what's happening. But um, uh, David had taken upon himself to begin organizing the Levites. Uh, the Bible says that as this is beginning, he's old and full of days. In other words, he lived his life and he had turned the kingdom over to Solomon. 
And so he was going to take the time uh, in his old age and full of days to organize the Levites. Now, who were the Levites? They were the workers. Uh, part of what David was organizing and part of what his, his vision was is that he wanted to see a temple built for God. Now, God had made it so that he wouldn't be the one to build it. Solomon would be the one to build it. But David had gotten much of the materials and he had brought things together to see it happen. And so this is part of that effort, part of the effort to see the temple functioning and to see the temple moving. He wanted a house of God in Jerusalem. So uh, as part of that effort, uh, he had secured materials, he had secured workmen, he had made some deals, he had spoken to some kings and some people that had the workers, the craftsmen, the experts, and the materials they needed in order for the temple to proceed. And as part of that effort, he also was going to organize the Levites, because it would be the Levites that would actually be working in the house of God. They were the ones that would be doing the day-to-day work in the temple. So, they, the, the Levites, think of them as the workers of the temple, the workers of the house of God. Uh, they were officers in the house of God. They were judges. They were gatekeepers. Alright, so gatekeepers you can think of as whatever you want to think of. Um, a word that we would use for a gatekeeper would be like a bouncer. You know, they would watch the door. Alright? And so they had responsibilities other than that, but and that's probably a simplistic word for it, but that's basically you, you get the idea that they were partially there to welcome people, they were there to protect, they were there to carry out whatever it was that needed to happen as people were entering, and they were also there to ensure order, so they were doing that. They were also Levites for worshipers, so they were the people that would be singers in the house of God, and so certain positions of the Levites would be offering worship to God, and they also were the musicians. So what you have here is you have this idea that you got these are the workers. These are the people that are actually going to do the work in the in the house of God. And so David said, Well, we're going to organize these people and we're going to figure out how many of them they have. Gonna figure out who's who. And then he began to divide them down by function and what they would be doing actually doing in the house of God. So they had workers, they had officers, they had judges, gatekeepers, they had the singers, and they had the musicians, they had the worshipers. And so he chose people uh, of the Levites, the ones that he was choosing from, for those that were 30 years old and older, to organize. So interestingly, he, they bring up in this passage, and this is what I, I really want to look at, is... They bring up in this passage the sons of Moses, which I think is really interesting because it's been a long time since Moses was around. Okay? I mean, you look at the history, there's a lot of Bible between Moses and where you're at now. Alright, it's pretty thick there. And so a lot of history is taking place years have passed. Years and years and years and years and years and years, years past. But they bring up I think interestingly bring up the sons of Moses at this point. Now we know that Moses had a brother. Moses' brother's name? 
and feed our minds, we can feed our hearts, our eyes. It brings forth creative. It brings forth a, a creative work. And, and there's, this, there's this idea that, oh, I'm much more creative when things are out of order or when things are free flowing. Um, did that, that doubt it. And the only reason I doubt that is because that's just not how God works. And that's just not how things were made. That's just not how things took place. And so, it's His Word. It's what He has that brings order. But out of that order is ultimate creation. You see, order and creativity go together. They form together. God's Word speaking creation is bringing order to things. And so, if, they, if there's something in your heart, in your mind, that begins to need to change about that, well, let it change. Let that change. Let those ideas change. And, and whether they were the old hippie ideas that you brought out, you hold on to, or whatever it was, let it change. Now, Pale is the word today. We'll update hippie. You ready? It's some of your boho ideas. Okay? <laughs> Never heard of that before. Right? If you understand, it's bohemian. Um, the idea is, you know, we, the idea is that God is speaking creation and that speaking of creation is a bringing of order. The hovering of the Spirit brings order over our lives. It's allowing God to do His thing in us. And so we, we release that as we submit our chaos to Him. We, we release that as we impose His order on our lives. People that live in order get a lot more done. That's the fact. People that live in order in their lives just feel a lot more done. And so I encourage you toward that. I encourage you toward order. I encourage you toward the Word of God. I encourage you toward the recognition of that suffering of the Spirit in your life. And let that bring order into your life. Let him bring order. So David is imposing order. And so the first idea is this, that order is akin to and associated with and connected to creativity. And so he, he's teaching as he does this and implying in all this, the idea behind it is to teach people how to serve, how to engage in work, how to engage with one another, how to love, and how to assist one another in getting the job done. Loving one another, assisting one another, Engaging one another, 
and engaging the work at hand. Now, if you, when we think of Israel, if I say the 12 tribes of Israel, alright, does that make sense to you? You've heard of that before? Well, but there weren't really 12 tribes. Okay, that got messed up right away. I don't know if you understand that. But what's the natural order of things? Chaos. Chaos, right. So, you got this simple idea. You got a guy, a man, named Israel. What was his name before it was Israel? Jacob. And so how many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. Twelve. So he had twelve sons, and so those twelve sons of Jacob, that's going to be the twelve tribes of Israel. Alright, what was the first thing that happened to that idea? He's after the sons of his. Right. So instead of having the one son, Joseph, he adopted the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. So now there's two half tribes making a whole tribe of the twelve tribes. So there's really thirteen tribes by name, but they're only half tribes, so they're the twelve tribes. You follow what I'm saying? And so all of a sudden, this simple idea just got more complicated. They didn't make it a whole generation. Couldn't even make it a whole generation, and we got something else going on. Just something else going to happen. And so the idea behind it was, is that the natural development of the people of Israel, the twelve sons of Jacob, would be the twelve tribes. Right? But we understand that got messed up. So then his grandson, the grandsons of Jacob, they would form what would be referred to as the families of Israel. So you got the tribes, you got the families. But we know that's messed up. Why do we know that's messed up? Because the tribes are messed up. And so the families are all messed up. And so the great-grandsons of Jacob, next generation, that becomes what's called the father's houses. And so the idea, the natural development of the 12 tribes, the natural development of Israel was 12 tribes into the families, into the father's houses by the third generation. Natural development. What is the natural development of things? Chaos. And that's exactly what happened. And so, uh, fast forward, and I, and I do want to point out that, that what I just said was not consistently carried out. This wasn't. And so, it was what it was. And so, fast forward a few hundred years. And then you get to where you are now. And you got David looking at it and saying, we got to figure out who the Levites are. Because the Levites may called into service to get the job done with the temple. That hasn't been built yet, but it's going to be built. The house of God is going to be built. We're going to need workers for that house of God. We're going to need people with the right attitude willing to work with one another to get the job done. So we need to figure out who are the Levites. Who are they? Not all. Because like I said, if this wasn't carried out, if they couldn't make it a generation without it getting messed up, and they couldn't make it two generations without getting more messed up. And they couldn't make it to the third generation without getting more messed up. What do you think it is a few hundred years later? 
Yeah, you know. So, David sets up, this is why David sets up to put it in order. Because what he's looking for, think about who David is. Think about who David is as the king, but as a worshiper. I mean, think about it. I mean, he's, he's bringing the ark into Jerusalem. What's he doing when he's bringing the ark in? He's worshiping. He's dancing. He, he, he invents instruments for people to play. He writes songs. You got the whole songs and he's writing songs. He is creative. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to impose an order on things. And because they're worshiping in the tabernacle, the tabernacle's there in Jerusalem. But he knows this temple is going to be built. He's imposing an order. Why? He's looking for creativity. That's what he's looking for. He's going to die. He is going to die. He knows he's going to die. He's old and full of days. But somebody's going to have to carry on writing songs. Somebody's going to have to carry on dancing before the Lord. Somebody's going to have to carry on playing the instruments, building new instruments. Somebody's going to have to carry on writing the songs and the music that the people are going to worship to. Somebody's going to do it. And that's going to be born out of a certain order of things. That's how it's going to come about. So, he begins to impose the order. Now, I'm going to make a general statement. And it can always be proven false because it's a general statement. Because there are always exceptions to what I'm about to say. But for the most part, if you just had to guess, and I'm just talking about musicians, would you say most musicians are super orderly or chaotic? Yeah. I mean, think about people you know. <laughs> most of the musicians that I know are somewhat chaotic. Why is that? I don't know. I can't answer that question. But if what needs to get done was going to get done, David knew he needed to put an order on to that to get it done. He knew. he knew that there were songs to be written that needed to be written. He knew there were instruments to be played and they needed to be played. He knew there were songs to be sung and they needed to be sung. He knew there were dances to be formed and to be danced. And they needed to happen. And in order to do that, he had to impose an order upon the people, the very people, that would be the ones to do it. And so in this order, and I think it's significant in this order, is that he brings up the sons of Moses. Now, it's been a long time since Moses was alive. Long time. And so as he was going through and he was looking at all the places where all these people came from, he made it, there was a decision made here. And that was the descendants of Moses. Because Moses had sons. He had people, all right? The descendants of Moses would be counted among the Levites. And, and what does that say? Okay, here's what it says. And, and I don't quite understand this, and maybe you're going to help me understand this over the next few minutes. But they made a big deal out of the descendants of Aaron, didn't they? They made a big deal about Aaron's 
descendants as they came down the line. Why is that a big deal? Because they formed the priesthood. And it was the priesthood that carried out the ritualistic sacrifices. It was the priesthood that formed it and did all of the things that needed to happen, the spiritual things that needed to take place in the temple. And then on the other side of that, you got the Levites. And the Levites are the ones that, they were the ones that took care of the practical stuff. They're the ones that are doing the work. They're the ones that are, that are actually going about the business of, of, of setting up and making sure that the temple worship takes place. They weren't making sacrifices. They weren't cutting up the lambs and the goats and the cows and all the rest of that stuff. They weren't doing any of that stuff. They weren't waving the wave offering. They weren't doing the grain offering. They weren't doing the stuff that, that the priests were doing. But they had their jobs, didn't they? They had their work that they needed to do. And so he made sure that there was a certain order to that. And I think there's an elevation that takes place here of the Levites by saying the sons of Moses will be counted among them. So you've got the sons of Aaron, they're the priests, and then you've got the sons of Moses being counted among the Levites. So the Levites were already a tribe. They were the sons of who? Who is of the Levites? Levi. The Levi, right. Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, so all his descendants were called Levites, which had nothing to do with Moses. That's so. And so David decided to put them within the Levites. And he called Moses something here. He said he was the man of God. The man of God. A long time ago, there was an old man that I, I knew as a Christian. And he was the oldest Christian. He was the first oldest Christian I ever knew. However, <laughs> that makes sense to you. I was uh, probably 19 or 20 years old, and he was like 180. And, uh, and I knew him from the church I was going to. And, and he was just a really nice guy. He wasn't one of those guys like that you know, would sit you down and try to talk to you. He, he was just basically a normal person. And I think he sold shoes for a living or something. I don't know what he did. But he was just somebody I, I got to know by attending the church. And every now and then he would just speak something into my life in the course of conversation. And I, and I learned to take note of it. And we'd be talking about something, or we'd be talking about this, and we'd be talking about that. And he had such a way about him where he was almost disarming, if you, if you can understand what I mean, by the way he would talk to you. Because you wouldn't think, oh, he's about to drop a big knowledge bomb on me or anything, or you wouldn't think he, he was about to say something that might rock your world. He was just, you know, talking to you, like normal. And he would throw little things in that I thought really funny because uh, they concerned the pastor of the church every now and then. He'd never say anything bad. But he would say, hey, did you ever think of it this other way? You know, because I was you know, trying to figure things out and I didn't uh, what I when I decided that to follow after what God had for me, I listened to his call, vision for my life. I said, I got to start taking steps that way. I saw the pastor, which seemed, I said, hey, this is what I believe God is saying. This is what God showed me. This is who God called me to be, whatever. He's like, all right, well, here's the steps you need to take. This is the pastor. 
And so he got me on this track of doing courses and getting my credentials and doing this stuff to become a minister, like a, an official minister with a title and stuff. And so I was sitting there because I had to order a bunch of stuff and, and it was all monitored and tests, that take tests and all that stuff. And, and meanwhile, I'm still doing my schoolwork. Meanwhile, I'm still a, a university student. Meanwhile, I'm going to church, trying to help out at the church. Meanwhile, so I'm sitting there talking to this old man. And I was explaining to him, like, well, this is what he has me do it. Because he asked me, why are you taking those classes? I said, well, this, this is the reason. And, and he was just talking to me. And like I told you, he just kind of disarming. But he asked me a question. He said, so, so you're taking it, why? Because right, well, that's what the pastor told me to do. I'm like, right. He's like, so would you have thought of doing that yourself? I know. Like, I didn't know about it. And I was ignorant of it. He's like, well, I'm just asking that because it would just be a natural part of the way that you would feel like you would need to develop in your Christianity. And the answer was no. It wasn't. And he just said something to me. He said, well, I want to tell you something. He's like, whatever title that you ever have, Whatever title that you ever attain or achieve or that people ascribe to you or whatever it is, like if they call you reverend or they, they call you pastor or they call you minister or they call you evangelist or they call you whatever it is they're going to call you, prophet, apostle, teacher, whatever title that you ever come across, he's like, if you ever can achieve, ever can achieve someone who refers to you and if people who refer to you as a man of God, then you become what you're supposed to be. And I just took that to heart. That there's something bigger in our lives than accolades. There's something bigger in our lives than the ascribed titles of man. And like I said, I don't know that I ever would have, you know, pursued even that route that I ended up going down if I hadn't have asked the guy that was in charge. And that's what he told me to do. I just did it in a big But of course, it opened up doors for me. It opened up opportunities. It gave me opportunities to, to do things that I guess I wouldn't have been able to do unless God did something else. Who knows? And so I don't regret any of it. But those words always stuck in my mind in that what really matters? What really matters that, that someone says this? Or what really matters that someone says that? In the sense that you see being used here, talking about Moses, the man of God, what you see being used there, it just means this. It means one charged with a divine mission. One charge with a divine mission. That's the man of God. Moses, we know, was a prophet. He was a leader. His divine mission was to take, to set, people free, set the people of Israel free and take them to the promised land. And he got around the step, doorstep of the promised land and got on top of a mountain. And that was the end of the man of God for that because He's done what he's supposed to do. Now, I want you to think about how he went out. He handed over, because he'd been, 
He's doing both of these things. Now, think about it. He had run the, the government of the Israelites because they went across the wilderness, right? I mean, you know, he was the judge, and then after a while, he had other judges, but they were all under him. And so he run the government. When he said it was time to pack up, they packed up and they left. He was charged with hearing from God. He was charged with seeing the cloud or the pillar of fire lift and move. He was charged with understanding that and discerning the time. And so the government of how things are going to take place, the government of what was happening in the camp of Israel, that was on Moses. And on the other side of things, the other thing that was on Moses was the spiritual life of the people. He was the one. He was the one that met with God. He was the one whose face glowed. He was the one who interceded between the people and God. And yeah, I know Aaron was there. I know Aaron had certain functions and everything. But I want you to understand, Moses was the guy in charge, right? You follow me? You can say Aaron had his priestly function or whatever, but it was Moses was in charge. I mean, when Moses came down from the mountain the first time with the Ten Commandments, with the law of God, why did Aaron allow it to happen? Build a calf, right? And I tell you, when Moses busted the, the covenant, went down and, and started uh, having the people, you know, crush up that gold and eat it, you know, you got who was in charge? It wasn't there. It wasn't there. Okay, so, so the man of God, in the sense that you hear Moses, he had the government, but then he, you know, he led him into battle, he led him into war, all these things, strategizing, all that stuff, but he also was the intercessor between the people and God. He was a spiritual leader, and he was a governmental leader. So before he died, he took two people, right? He took Joshua, the son of Nun. And he gave Joshua a charge over the government of the people. Okay, he would be the guy in charge. You're in charge now, Joshua. Take care of these people. He's the one that's going to lead them into battle. He's the one that's going to lead them to, to conquer the promised land as much as they were going to do. He was the one that was going to take care of things that way. And then Aaron took on more responsibility as a spiritual leader. So he, the two roles that Moses had in the wilderness, he handed off one to Joshua and one to his brother Aaron and to his sons. Okay? And to their descendants. And so that's where that division took place. Now there are other people in the Bible. Now you see this, this phrase used a few times. Uh, man of God. So Deuteronomy 33, 1. We're just going to go through a few more. Deuteronomy 33, 1. And we're going to go to... There's a reason why I'm going through these. Deuteronomy 33, 1. Anybody? This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. Okay, Moses who? The man of God. Joshua 14 and 6. Joshua 14 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, 
Alright, so again, Moses, the man of God. Alright, so there's three incidents that we just read. First Chronicles 23.14, Deuteronomy 33.1, Joshua 14.6, where they refer to Moses as the man of God. Now, later on, later on, you see the same thing with David. Alright, so let's look at a few of those. Second Chronicles 8.14. According to the ruling of David his father, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their service, and the Levites for their office of praise and ministry for the priests, as the duty of each they required, and the gatekeepers in their divisions in each gate. For so David, the man of God, had commanded. Alright, so David is the man of God in this passage. Alright, why am I doing this? Alright, why is it important you understand this? There's more than one what? Man of, man of God. Right. There's more than one man of God. Okay, uh, Nehemiah. Let's try that. 1224. Try that one. And Again, is the man of God? David. Right. Go down to verse 36 in Nehemiah 12. Nehemiah 12, 36. Anyway. And his associates, Shemiah, Azarel, Nehemiah, Yellowiah, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments described by David, the man of God, Ezra, Peter, and of the Pacific. Alright, thank you. Alright. Thanks for reading that. So David, the man of God. So there's three verses that refer to David that way. We've got three verses that refer to Moses that way. There's a guy, Shemala, in uh, 1 Kings 12, 22. You ever hear him? Shemala. Yeah. Let me read that. 1 Kings 12, 22. Alright. So why is it why do I want to read that? Because we've got we got Moses and we got David. They're pretty famous. What about this guy? Still the man of God though. <laughs> Still the man of God. Alright? And and it's important you begin and I don't know if you need to do something to tweak in your mind what that means or what that looks like or how to define that. But remember, we're defining a man of God as one charge of the divine mission. 
That's what we're defining that as. And so we go to the New Testament. Somebody read 1 Timothy 6.11. But you, man of God, flee from all this, with the two richness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's Paul speaking to Timothy. So Timothy's a man of God. It's used, I believe, according to some scholars, nine times total in the Bible. For different people. What I want you to hold up with this is this, that have you been charged with a divine mission? If you have, then you're a man or a woman of God. If you're willing to live it out. And there's something to be said for that in understanding the power of that in your life. To understand the power of having a divine mission. To understand the power of having that vision that God gives. To understand the power of having a call on your life. You think about the apostles and, and they were sent. That's what the word means. Sent one. They had a divine mission. God sent each one of those. They were all men of God. Every one of them. And they may have went by a different name. We call them apostles, disciples, whatever you want to call them. But they were set. They had a mission. They had a purpose. They had a, a part in what God was doing in the world they were living in. And they took hold of it. And they went after it. There's a power in that. There's a sense of purpose when everything around us seems to scream no purpose. There's a sense of purpose in the midst of chaos. A sense of order in the midst of, of whatever's swirling around us that brings a sense of order to that. That we have, I have, a divine vision. I have a purpose that's greater than my circumstance that's greater than the people around me, that's greater than the opinions of others, that's greater than anything else that I'm ever going to see or face in my entire life. That sense of mission and that sense of purpose is something that if we can hold on to it, if we can accept it, if we can embrace it, it's going to see us through. That's up to you. That's up to you what you're willing to embrace on that. And you can't say, oh yeah, I'm willing to do that, but I'm no man of God or I'm no woman of God. No, that's what that is. And it's important to take a hold of that. Whether anyone ever calls you that as long as you live, it's important that you take a hold of that and live it. Live it. Do it. Be it. And that's part of the order, I believe, that God is setting into our lives. But it's also, and I want you to think about this, it's also something that God puts on us so that we can be a people who oppose order wherever we go. 
Moses imposed order on a million people and moved them across a wilderness over a course of 40 years to bring them to the place that God called them to bring them to. He had a divine purpose, he had a divine mission, and he went about it in a miraculous fashion. It took way longer than he thought it was going to take. But he saw it through. Imposing order is never, ever easy. Never. Never. Because all you have to do is to have disorder is do nothing. That's easy. All you have to do to have chaos in your life just do nothing. Easy. Simple. But the man of God, the woman of God, by definition, has a mission. And part of that mission is the imposition of order. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus bringing his teaching into the world when he brought it into the world. Yeah. Think about Jesus as he called his disciples. I mean, even the disciples, you think about it. How many disciples did he call? Twelve. But what happened? Did he finish with twelve? No, what happened? Huh? One betrayed him. One betrayed him. So he got Judas, Scarlet, betrayed him, then killed himself out of the eleven. Couldn't even make it one generation. <laughs> Sound familiar? Yeah. Couldn't even make it one generation. Sounds familiar, but they don't just it out in New Jerusalem. How many how many gates are there? Twelve. Twelve. You gotta have one more. <laughs> Alright, well, let's, let's throw some dice and see what Paul got. Yeah. Uh, wow. See, disorder. Disorder. Happens. Order must be imposed. Must be. Disorder happens. Okay, it happens. What am I going to get all frustrated about it and give up? Nope. That's why you're there. Impose it. Reimpose it. Keep imposing it. Oh, disorder comes again. Reimpose it. Oh, that wasn't the way I planned it out. Okay. Let's keep moving forward. Man of God, woman of God, you have a mission, you have a purpose. There's a plan in your life. And part of that is that you are one who will bring order. It is the creative work of the Holy Spirit through you. At least one of them. Then, what you begin to see are people around you becoming more creative. You see people around you rising up with new and innovative teaching. You see people around you rising up wanting to learn how to play instruments. You see people around you rising up singing Worshipping, writing, painting, drawing. You see people around you that are, are sewing, that are making things of fabric. You see people around you that are designing things. 
working on things. Artistic ways are beginning to pop up everywhere. How? Because there's an order being imposed. There's a freedom being allowed. There's a liberty that's being provided for in your midst. And you see people responding to that. That's how it works. So Moses' sons were named among the Levites. They were, the, the word there is they were reckoned as Levites. Meaning they weren't really Levites. Okay? Just to be clear, there's no back door. We're going to follow back through the lineage of Moses to find out, oh, it was actually one of the sons of Levi. No. 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 He just he was reckoned, he was reckoned as it. Alright? Nobody followed any lineage to come figure it out. They just said, we're going to make him one of the sons of Levi. And meaning they wouldn't have any priestly duties. That's okay. You see, this false sense among us, and I mean us in the general sense of the church, is a false sense among us that there are classes of Christians. And it has been brought forth because it was a power place in the very beginning. It was a power place in the very start in the way that the church was formed after the first century or even during the first century, but after the first generation, where there all of a sudden became a division among the people, just like it was in the Old Testament. There became a division among the people who could do what? In other words, you got the priests and you got the Levites and you got the regular people. Well, among Christians there became this big division. What was the division? You got the clergy and What's the other word? The laity, right. That's a false division. I mean, you can look at it as functionary, yeah. I mean, there's probably some functionary differences, but what's more important? I'd love to see somebody in the clergy try to do everything that needs to happen in a church. You know how big their church is going to be? About ten people at the most. Most of them family members. Yeah. Yeah, because that's how it works. And so that's not the way God made things. It wasn't how he, how he formed things. It wasn't how he decided it was going to be. And we don't need that false sense. And I want you to see that being played out here. The sons of Moses. Arguably, Moses was a greater leader. Moses was a, a more spiritual man. Moses was someone that had more authority than Aaron did. Can we agree on that? I think that's clear. And I'm not talking about functionally, just as a person. Moses had the authority. Moses was the one meeting with God face to face. Moses was the one that was bringing down the covenant. Moses was the one up on the mountain. Moses was the one in the presence of God in space with God. It wasn't Aaron. It was Moses. And so arguably Moses, you got to look at was the greater of the two. Okay. Well, so his stuff would be reckoned among the Levites. <laughs> Interestingly, they could have reckoned his sons among the sons of Aaron, right? I mean, they were related. They were brothers, right? And that, that was kind of allowable under their really weird rules. I mean, if, if you died and, and you didn't have any children, 
Who fathered your children? Was your wife? You know, old? your brother did. Right. So, if you read the natural thing here, would have been to say, okay, well, the sons of Moses, the, the family lineage of Moses, did at least be priests. But he was greater than Aaron. That's not how it worked, though. The way that it worked was is that they said, okay, well, they're going to be Levite. And, and I read it up how many commentaries about this, probably at least ten commentaries about this, and almost every single one of them referred to Levi only as a Levite. I mean, it's just to refer to that over and over again. <coughs> only as a Levite. So most of the child would only be Levites. It wouldn't be priests. Only Levites. And what I want you to hear from that is I want you to hear a bias. And I want you to hear that, that kind of weird church mentality coming through in every one of those uh, commentaries. It wouldn't even be the clergy. Just the laity. Arguably, to the average Israelite, the Levites, because of their function, they had more influence. They had more influence on the presence of God, really being in the midst of God's people, than the priests did. The priests had a function, and there was a forward function, but the Levites were in charge of the worship and the music. You look at those passages I had to read about David, the man of God, they referred to those times of the worship where they were singing together. They referred to the times where the musicians were playing together. They referred to times when the congregation of Israel got together and it was time to worship. They worshiped. David was concerned about that. David was concerned that that worship, that, that the writing of the songs, that creativity, that all of those things that were part of what it would be to freely serve God and worship God, to freely spend time in His presence, to live in a societal order that allowed that kind of liberty and that kind of freedom to come to Jerusalem and to worship, or to worship wherever they would be. He wanted to make sure that was preserved. So the sons of Moses were named among the Levites to make sure that that would happen. So who's more important? I said, I don't know. Neither. Who had a more important function? Neither. They each had their function and they needed to take care of it. And I want to just say that you see that being played out in the analogy in the New Testament with the body. You know, it's like Paul was saying when he was writing about the body, just because you're the big toe, or just because you're the earlobe, or just because you're the eyeball, or just because you're the thumb, the opposable thumb, or whatever it is, doesn't mean you're any better or worse than the other part of the body. Okay, he can't say that. And he wanted to make sure that people in the New Testament church understood that. There's different functions with the same body. There's different things that each part of the body does, but each one depends on the other thing. And without the one thing, you can't have the other thing. Without that thing, you can't have this thing. And you can't function properly. And you can't do what you're supposed to do. And so to begin to think, well, this is more important than that, or that is more beautiful than this, or whatever it is, is to be, go down that path of rendering the body ineffective. 
And Paul wanted to make sure people understood that. David wanted to make sure people understood that. He did. A lot of wisdom in this, what happens here. A lot of wisdom. And you see that wisdom repeated in the New Testament. So, the point is, is that we need to find out, we need to find out, God, what do you have for me? Moses had no ambition to gratify. Even when he was alive on walking the face of the earth, and neither would his sons. Neither would his relatives, neither would his, the ones that would come after him. He sought no special honor for his children and for his legacy. None. They would fulfill the function that God had for them. They would do what God had laid out for them to do. That's it. Those ambitions, the uh, honor that people seek, it's false. Because it assumes something is greater than the other. Just be careful not to do that. Be careful not to allow the world's thinking to get into what you're thinking. Be careful. Be careful not to lay down your call or lay down God's purpose for your life or lay down the mission that God has put before you. Be careful not to lay it down because it wasn't what you thought it was going to be or it's not fancy enough or it's not glamorous enough or whatever else might be in your head that's just a lie of the devil. But I'll tell you, if you really take hold of it and you get up and you do it, you got no greater thing going on in your life than that. None. I'll take a few moments and give you an opportunity just to renew that. To renew your mission. Whatever that mission is. And maybe you're sitting there like, I don't know what my mission is. Well, good. Be open. Wide open to what God has for you. You know, you're not really asking God what your mission is if you're giving him a multiple choice answer. <laughs> you, you follow me? If you only got A, B, and C as possibilities, and you have to get down to M before you get to what he asked for you. So you can't, you can't give God a multiple choice answer if you're going to ask him, what's my mission, what's my purpose? I want your vision, God. And maybe you just need to renew the, the mission that God has given you. And really take it to heart and take it seriously. And move forward in it. Father, thanks for your call on our lives that as New Testament believers, we've been given the Holy Spirit. There's no measure to the Holy Spirit that you provide for us. None. You instruct us to pray that we're continually filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. You describe the Holy Spirit in us as a river 
of living water. It never runs out. It just flows through us. It overflows out and through us. It is an endless supply. And so your Holy Spirit, He's endless in us. He's forever. And you think of that as the quantity, quality, all of it. There is no limit. No limit. So God, tonight I pray that we would renew the mission that you put on us. The call, the purpose, your plan in our lives. I pray we would take a few moments and just renew that. Reaffirm it. Embrace it. Take hold of it. Recognize that we are the man, the woman of God in our mission. God, I pray for those that are asking you about mission tonight that you would speak that you reveal. We don't lay any parameters out and say it's got to be within this certain thing. We say whatever, God. As big as the universe, whatever. We want to know. Bigger than we can even think of, we want to know. Larger than we can conceive, we want to know. Beyond our wildest imagination, we want to know. As simple, as large, as small, as complicated, we want to know. We want to know. We ask God that you would speak and reveal. We hear you. Thanks, Lord. Thanks. God, I pray that you would set us in order and your people. Because God, I pray a release of creativity. I pray a release of the creative among us. I pray a release of the prophetic and the creative word of God in the midst of your people. Release. Freedom. Liberty. Productivity. Life given. Be creative in us. And through us we pray. Thank you, Lord. Give you honor. Cleanse us of bad ideas, false ideas, and of lies. Set us free to live in your truth. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah.
So yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the space community, like the comunidad. And they also see a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 